The scripture reading this evening will be Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or, or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed fe feasts my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke, rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. All right. Well, good evening. And thank you for this opportunity to present tonight. Fair warning, uh, I have no slides to accompany this discussion, so it's going to be an old-fashioned page-turner. But uh, thank you again. Maybe you do too, or maybe you don't, but I like country music. I, I like old stuff. I like stuff that's on the fringe of what's popular. But what I really like is live music. I've always enjoyed and have an appreciation for artists performing, seeing the bands work. I, I'm just fascinated by that, not being musically inclined as I am. But um, I also enjoy people watching. And so going to those events and seeing folks that I'm guessing probably don't normally wear, if ever, boots and hats, they're all dressed out to the nines in the latest Western fashion. And, you know, I'm not knocking that. I'm, I'm not putting that down at all. Because, to be very honest, I am most comfortable wearing old boots, jeans, pearl snap shirts. I even have a couple hats to complete the getup if I'm feeling sporty. Before I came to Kansas, I lived in Texas, and I spent the better part of my time in uh, West Central part of the state. And in those circles, you kind of stood out if you didn't dress that way. So I became very comfortable wearing that stuff, and it just became comfortable to me. When I was there, I had a couple friends that had small farms and ranches, and I would occasionally help out however or whenever I could. And I had other friends that rodeoed, and so I would help out behind the scenes there as well. I'd be pushing steers and calves down the alleys from the pens and the chutes, just any way I could help out. 
my point in sharing all that is is simply I have a great appreciation for Western culture. I, I like it. I enjoy it. I think there's something neat about that. I stood shoulder to shoulder with those that live that every day. And I, on a couple of occasions, I may have even fooled a few people into thinking that I was one, but I was no cowboy. And you can put me on a horse and in a couple of minutes tell whether or not I belong up there. Or if you don't believe that, just talk to my wife because I know she has a couple of stories that she would loving, lovingly and willingly share at my expense. And I think you should because they are actually pretty funny. But I think there's this idea out there that if we associate with something, if we participate in something, if we're near it, if we identify as something, we magically become that thing. And we see this at times in religious circles. You know, I'm sure you've seen or heard advertisements for trips to the Holy Land. Come stand where Jesus stood. Walk in the footsteps of the early disciples. Be washed in the Jordan. As if to say by being in the Holy Land, being there, it would be a more spiritual experience. Your spirituality would grow. You might even be feel more holy or holier having been there. And that's the topic that I'd like to discuss with you tonight is, can we have holiness? Can one be holy by just associating with that which is holy? See, I think we all agree that God's word is holy. His inspired word was given. It was written down. It was compiled. It's now in this nice text form that we have as our Bibles. I'm holding God's word in my hand right now. The cover of which says, holy Bible. I cannot get closer physically to it than I am right now. Am I holier because of that? Am I holy because of my closeness to God's word? I know that that's kind of a simple example to use, and it might even be a silly example to use, but the Bible is filled with accounts of how some put their faith in objects, in places, in behaviors, and practices that they deemed holy, despite God's instructions otherwise. Now, before going further along, I'd just like to define holiness and holy, and it's a definition that we've used commonly here from Vines. It signifies a separation to God or to be set apart to God. For the Christian, there's this idea of growing towards perfection, establishing a Christian character as we grow. But the idea, the belief that having physical contact with or even a closeness to spiritual things will make someone more spiritual, more holy, is not a new problem. If you'd like to follow along, be turning to 1 Samuel. We'll be reading from chapter 13 momentarily. But elsewhere in Samuel, 1 Samuel that is, we read of Israel's desire for a king. Despite God's warnings, the people pleaded for a king to be appointed over them, that they too may be like the nations around them, where the king may judge them and go out before them and fight their battles. Saul, of course, became the king that Israel, Israel stubbornly demanded. And just as a side note, I think this arguably shows that this is an example of Israel taking what God had put in place and trying to improve upon it. And I think that's an important takeaway and something that people still try to do today. 
But after Saul was anointed king and was preparing for battle, we read in chapter 10, verse 8, that Samuel instructed him to go to Gilgal and wait seven days, after which Samuel would arrive to offer burnt offerings before giving Saul further instructions from the Lord. But in chapter 13, we read of the fighting men's waning confidence after seeing the Philistine ranks forming. Saul's forces began to scatter. Look with me to verses 8 through 14. 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. Then he waited seven days according to the time by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord had sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul, not Samuel, but Saul, offered the burnt offerings. Sacrifice, in Saul's mind, was the thing that made him holy, not obedience. Turn with me a few pages to the right to chapter 15. Here we read the familiar account of Saul being sent on a mission to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Thus says the Lord of hosts, beginning in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on, on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Let's continue over verses 7 through 9. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. King Saul was sent on a mission to destroy, to wipe out the Amalekites and all that they had. But he saved the best of the animals to sacrifice. Saul seemed to think that sacrificing would help him find God's favor. But Samuel tells a different story in verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel later rebuked Saul in verses 22 and 23. 
Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as sin is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Proper worship is better than sacrifice. Saul rebelled because he didn't obey. He thought to worship God with, with that which God said to destroy. Let's turn to our scripture reading, Isaiah 1, 10 through 17. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of the burnt offerings and rams and the fat of the fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of the bulls or the lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the callings of assemblies. I cannot endure inequity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are troubled to me. I am weary of bearing them. You have spread out your hands. I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Through the prophet Isaiah, God explains why his people, Judah, are in a crisis. They did not comprehend that they had forsaken God and lived in corruption. Isaiah rebukes the people and calls Judah to repent because the people had divorced the ordinances from their proper worship. They seemed to think that as long as they offered sacrifices, they were holy with God. But they put iniquity, that which is immoral, they put iniquity in serving God together and therein lies the problem. But in verses 16 and 17, Isaiah offers a solution. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Do what is right, change your conduct. We see this remedy in Hosea as well, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. From these examples, we see the error of wrong behavior, misplaced and misguided worship. But what about placing confidence in our closeness to a holy location or an object? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7, and let's read verses 3 through 4. Jeremiah 7, 3 through 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. 
Israel held such confidence in the temple and being around it that they apparently believed the, the temple would never be destroyed. Or they thought that by swearing by the temple, it would keep them safe. But the verses following, God through Jeremiah instructed them to instead amend their ways and their deeds. Verse 5. Just because the house of God, the temple, was there did not mean that they were safe from God's judgment. To be safe, to be secure, they needed to change their ways. Looking at another example, you'll recall again the early battles Israel had with the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 4, we read of Israel's defeat after being encamped at Ebenezer. The elders, after the loss, determined that the defeat was the work of the Lord. Yet there's no indication that they saw how they had sinned or brought about this wrath. Instead, they decided on their own to summon, and, uh, to, to summon the ark and bring it to the battlefield, that the closeness to it would save them. So they looked upon the ark, the visible sign of the presence and power of God. They looked upon the ark as a charm. They put their confidence in their closeness to the ark, not in the commands of God. Of course, as you'll remember, Israel was defeated. Its army was disbanded and fled. And the ark, or I'm sorry, the Philistines captured the ark. And the house of Eli met its demise. Can one become holy by associating with something that is holy? If the answer isn't coming into focus, let's look at Haggai chapter 2 for more clarity. Haggai chapter 2. The Lord prompted the prophet Haggai to question the priests as we read beginning in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge touches the bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands that they offer there is unclean. If something clean touches another item that is unclean, the unclean is not cleansed. If an item or a person comes in contact with something holy, they are not made holy. But the opposite is true if something or someone comes in contact with that which is unholy. When the unclean comes in contact with the clean, the clean becomes unclean. And that's the whole point of this lesson. We can't become holy just by associating with that which is holy. There's something more. We need to do more than just hold our Bibles close to us. We must do more than leave God's word on our nightstands or on our bookshelves where it can be seen and seldom read. We need to open his word and we need to read it. We need to hear and apply it. We need to put it into practice. We must turn from our wrongful ways and obey. To be holy, to be set apart, that's, that is our aim. But how do we accomplish this? 
The formula, the solution, if you will, the path has been shared here many times. We must hear God's word, Romans 10, 17. We must believe, Hebrews 11, 6. We must confess, Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. We must repent, Acts 17, 30. And we must be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2, 38. But then we must remain faithful, Revelations 2, 10. We must obey. We must turn from our wrongful ways and obey and let the word of God dwell richly in us. Jeremy made the comment, or the observation rather, during last Sunday's Bible study that the point of salvation, baptism, is really just the beginning of the journey. See, we're not in good standing by just being present here. Are our spiritual needs being met if we don't put forth any effort to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? 2 Peter 3 and 18. Let's consider Lot's wife for a moment. She had all the advantages of associating with godly people. Of course, there was Abraham, but Lot too. Lot made many mistakes in his life, but the scriptures call him a righteous man, as 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us. You see, she had all the right associations, yet a man's righteousness cannot spread to others. Righteous friends, relatives, or even spouses cannot bring about another's salvation. Lot's wife looked back. She perished even though she was warned of the danger. She didn't put God's word into practice. Are we failing to make the spiritual progress that we should be making? Could it be that we are relying on a closeness to godly influences instead of striving to enter through the narrow gate? Or perhaps another way to understand Luke's recorded call to action in chapter 13 is to labor fervently, verse 24. In either case, active participation is needed if we are to be, as 2 Corinthians chapter 7 instructs, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, verse 1. We must put out effort. We must exert ourselves. In this congregation, we are very blessed to have strong eldership, strong leadership. We are blessed to have wonderfully gifted song leaders, and our Bible studies are filled with great dialogue and discussion. And my family and I have seen and experienced the the genuine and sincere Christian love shown from all of you. And I would offer that all of these are godly influences But lest we err like Lot's wife, we can't allow this closeness to godly influences to take the place of the spiritual progress we each should be making. Instead, looking again to Luke Luke 13, we must strive. You've heard God's word. Do you believe? If you believe, have you confessed Christ as your Lord? If you've confessed, have you been baptized to stand in the newness of excuse me, the newness of life, and share in the hope of salvation. If you have not, if you now feel that need, or if you are in need of the prayers of the congregation, won't you please come forward as together we stand and sing.